Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. So I want to turn to 1 Samuel, and then we're going to look at a couple passages through the chapters 18 to 20. And so again, uh, if you haven't already downloaded the mobile app, you can actually follow along with the sermon notes, and the passages will be all available there. And uh, as we talk about this relationship with other sermon series. Last week we talked about forgiveness, and today we want to talk about friendship. And I know that we all have a lot of different views and perspectives on friendship, so I want to get a crowdsourced uh, understanding of what our views are, our friendship are. So keep your phones out, and then I want you to go to the Mentimeter, and that'll be on the screen. Uh, there's the QR code, the, the link is right there, Menti, 27 June. Scan it. <clears throat> And I'm going to ask a couple questions, if all of us can just scan it, and then it'll be totally anonymous, so just scan it, and then it'll bring you to like an interactive poll, and then we'll get to see the results live together about how we view friendships, because friendship, you know, in, it's some, such an important topic for all of us. All of us, we want friends, amen? Okay, I guess some of us, we don't want friends, all right. All of us, we want friends. We, we desire friendships. It's, it's natural. We're created for relationship. But so many of us, we struggle through it. So hopefully you've scanned it by now, and then I'm going to give us a couple questions. Those of you who are Zooming in or streaming in, there might be a little bit of a delay or lag, but just try to follow in as best as possible. So the first question is, I prefer to have a lot of friends that I don't know as well or fewer friends that I know very well, Okay. So I prefer to have a lot of friends that I don't know as well or fewer friends that I know very well. So I'm going to give you just a little bit of time, like 10 seconds or so. Just go ahead and answer that question as best as you can, and then we'll see what happens. All right. So it seems that 51 people responded already. Most people prefer to have few friends that you know very well compared to a lot of friends that you don't know as well. Okay, next question. What are the first two characteristics that come to mind that you look for in a friend? There's going to be a word cloud. Don't think, it's not, I'm not asking for the only two traits if you had to pick only two traits. I'm just asking, what are the first two? What are the first two traits that come to mind? Rich, wow, okay. We need some rich, rich friends. Amen. Let's, let's pray for some rich friends. Bring them to our church, yes, and then we can see a building. Okay, honesty, trust, loyalty, understanding, a lot of different variations of trust and trustworthy, genuineness, respect, generosity, funny, caring. Oh, these are all really, really great things that we look for in a friend. The question is, do you represent that, right? <laughs> Ooh, yeah, we'll hear about that later. Third question is, I feel secure and confident in my friendships. I feel secure and confident in my friendships. So the right side is super secure and confident. The opposite, the left side, would be not very secure, not very confident. <clears throat> Again, I think this is on a scale of one to six. So don't pick, you can't pick the middle. All right, so we're at around 45 responses. This is taking a little bit longer for you to process, but I want you just to kind of go with your gut feeling. So I, am, I feel secure and confident in, our friend, in my friendships. We're around 4.4. You know, that's a little bit different than the previous one where we were talking about, you know, fewer friends or that other scale. And so I, I would say a lot of us feel a little bit more uncertain than what we desire in a friend to actually believe that we're secure in our friendships, which is... Uh, good to see us, you know, being open about that. Fourth question. I find it difficult to see my life group as my group of friends. Oof. All right. I find it difficult to see my life group as my group of friends. If you're not part of a life group, it's okay. We want to invite you to join one. You can make some friends there, right? So I find it difficult to see my life group as my group of friends. So on the left side, Scale of one, or one is very easy, and on the sixth side is very difficult. Very difficult. <laughs> it, it keeps moving over and over. The people who, 
the people who take longer, they're pausing like, oh my gosh, do I want to be honest? It's okay, it's anonymous. We don't collect the data, so just be honest. Wow, it's getting close to three. Uh-oh, 29. Come on, who are all the, the rest of you? A little bit hesitant. Come on, we have more than 30 people here in this room, right? Oh, 118, okay. Two point, what, 116? Sorry, my eyes are bad, so. 2.9, wow. It's slowly getting to that sign where it's a little bit difficult to see my life group as my friend group. Well, it doesn't have to be your exclusive friend group, but they're at least a group of friends that you would consider close to you. Uh, two more questions. This one is, I think I'm a good friend. I think I'm a good friend. On the left side, it is not really good. On the right side, excellent. I think I am a good friend. All right, we have a mix. We have some people that think they're amazing friends. Other people that don't, have, don't think they're amazing friends. We should make you meet together, yeah? And then see what happens. About 3.8 or so, that's you know, slightly above average. Okay, last question is, what are the top two reasons, reasons why it's difficult to build strong and deep friendships? If you could just summarize it in like a phrase, a really short phrase, or even one or two words, what are the top two reasons why you think it's difficult to build strong and deep friendships? The last question. I just want to kind of get a sense for where we're at in terms of what are the top two reasons why it's difficult to build strong and deep friendships? Trust. Trust is a big one. Selfishness, vulnerability, or lack of it, or maybe it's difficult to be vulnerable. Past hurts, we don't want to open up ourselves. Our own insecurities, our selfishness, time, fear, distance. I think all of these are great reasons for why it's so difficult for us to build relationships. And, and, and I think just, I, wa I wanted to do this poll and I wanted to do this just interactive activity because I think for many of us, these are things that we just don't talk about very often. But in the church context, it's something that we, we have to. If we were going to build a relationship with others, the people that we surround ourselves with, the friendships that we build, whether or not they're deep, whether they're, they're enduring, whether they're biblical, whether they're God-centered, makes a big difference on the quality of friendships that we have. And it makes a big difference because the friendships that we have in the church end up reflecting what people see about who we are and the God that we believe in. And I think it's so sad that oftentimes the very things that we struggle with with friendship are the very same things that the world sees. And they see that our friendships are exactly the same. So what, make, what difference does it make if they are a Christian or not? There's no incentive to do that. But I really believe that if we could build these great godly friendships, then we would be a light. What is our theme for this past year? Shine. We will be a light that shines so brightly in this city that people will be like, wow, your God must be real. Your God must be real. And I know that friendship is such a difficult concept in today's day and age, right? When I was in university, like the joke was who your friends are are your friends on Facebook, right? If we're not friends on Facebook, your, your friendship is not legit. Now I know many of us, we don't even use Facebook. So now it's what your Instagram friend or your close friends on Instagram, who you <laughs> share the close posts with, you know? Or you're wondering like, oh, who are, who are the people who are going to be in my wedding party? Who are the people who are going to stand next to me? And I will be honest, I feel like many of us, when we think about the question, we're like, yeah, I just don't know. I have no idea. Because I don't have those kind of deep relationships. Some of us uh, struggle a lot because it's a different context. Now we're uh, working, and now we have very few, little time. And, and some of us, we're married, and we have kids, and we're constantly like, tending to all these other issues. And we're like, how, where do I have time for friends? Where do I have time to, to make the time? Because friendship in undergrad is all about how much time you spend with someone. That late night boba run or that late night dim sum run. And that's the person that's my friend. If they're willing to wake up or get, stay up till 3 a.m. in the morning with me and hang out. But that's not realistic. So friendship also has to change as you change life stages. And I think the question many of us were like, what does it even mean to have a Christian friendship? Is there such thing as a Christian friendship? Or what, what, sometimes we disdain this whole idea of Christian friendship. Why can't I just have a regular friendship that's just full of love? But I, I really believe that as Christians, the way that we relate to our friends ought to be different than the way that we relate 
with, or the way that the world relates to one another. And hopefully there's a deeper understanding of the gospel and love in our friendships than anyone else. Because it's the gospel that gives us a love that no one else can have. And so that's why uh, I want to give us the one thing. The one thing is that our friendships will crumble unless they reflect the commitment, truth, and sacrifice of the gospel. Our friendships will crumble unless they reflect the commitment, truth, and sacrifice of the gospel. And I mean, think through this message. I want to share a little bit about my friendships, and I'll have a couple photos. I wanted to share a photo of my groomsmen. Um, that these are the close friends that I had. Yes, we tried to, we tried to be cool. Um, <laughs> but I'll share a couple stories about some of these guys that, these were the guys that I really built great relationships with in undergrad. And I think these are the guys that have really taught me. And I'm going to share stories, not that I've been such a great friend, but they have actually been the ones who have initiated and been the great friends to me. And I really believe it wasn't for a gospel-centered foundation for our relationships. We would not be friends now. Actually, a good number of them. I would not even want to be with them as a friend if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. And as we go through this passage, hopefully you've turned to uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 18. We're going to look at three things. I'm going to talk about three things today that we need for gospel-centered relationships and friendships. The first thing that we need is we need a commitment to one another. We need a commitment to one another. We'll read 1 Samuel, and we're not going to read the whole chapter. We'll take a couple verses at a time. 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 to 4. It says, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, he is David. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day, would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor, and even his own, his sword, his bow, and his belt. So we're going to look at the, the story of Jonathan and David, their relationship, and some of us know that they were quite close. And this passage picks up immediately after the famous story of David and Goliath. So some of us, we know that story where David was running to see what was happening, and then he goes out to challenge Goliath. He takes a slingshot. He kills him. Everyone starts cheering. They defeat their enemies. And then David, he comes back to Saul. And then Saul, you know, is, you know, talking with him, rewarding him. And it says, as soon as he had finished speaking with Saul, then this happens. And when we look at that in verse 1, it says, Jonathan's soul was knit to the soul of David. As soon as after David had finished talking to Saul, that Jonathan's soul was knit to the soul of David. What does that mean? In the New Century Version, it says, Jonathan felt very close to David. In the New Living Translation, it says, there was an immediate bond between them. And, and it's interesting. It's not like Jonathan spent all this time with David. It's not like he hung out with him till 3 a.m. having dim sum. Something happened where he just felt this immediate connection. And I think some of us, we, we look at this and we're like, oh, you know, there's no such thing as fate. It was just random chance. And I want to speak to some of us who are checking out our church. Maybe we don't consider ourselves Christian. We just believe, you know, there's no such thing as fate. Everything happens by chance. I want to ask you, do you believe in Big Bang? Do you believe in molecular biology? Do you believe in atoms hitting against one another? If you could create a wonderful mathematical formula and somehow calculate all of those interactions, then you would realize you could somehow predict everything that happens in the whole universe. There's no such thing as chance. If you really believe in that, even if you believe in science to a T, there's no such thing as random chance. Every interaction is somehow predetermined in some way, shape, or form. And some of us, we might think that our interactions with people are just by chance or just random. I just happened to meet that person or I just kind of got connected or this person just happens to be in my life group this summer. And I would say for us, those of us who believe in God and who are Christian, we know that there's a greater purpose. God has put us in this place for a reason. There's a purpose behind that. We might not know exactly what that purpose is, but there's a purpose for it. I think this is the thing. Many of us, we, when we look at friendships, what are the things that we typically look for? Trust, vulnerability, and then the context. We need the context. Common interest, quality time with people. Like, if I don't have those things, then it's going to be really difficult to build friendships. Who are your friends? Oh, yeah, it's the people I play video games with. Oh, it's the people I love to be a foodie and go out to all these great restaurants with. It's the people I love to play sports with. Those are my friends. 
But what if friendship wasn't just based on our interests alone? What if friendship was something that we saw that God had a greater purpose for? And because he had a greater purpose for, and he was putting specific people into our lives, that he wanted us to learn to commit to those people, even if we don't naturally connect with them. Don't raise your hand. How many of you don't connect with some people in your life group? You know who those people are. But God placed them in your life group for a reason. You're like, yeah, but I can't connect with anyone, everyone. And sometimes I just don't gel with that person. My LCG, I don't even gel with her or him right now. Don't look at your LCG right now. (laughs) But I'm wondering if you had this perspective that God has a greater purpose, that maybe this is God's way of saying, I want you to commit to that person. Because there's a reason why I'm bringing them into your life. Maybe it's for that person or maybe it's for you. There's a a book that C.S. Lewis writes. It's called The Four Loves. He says this. He says, in friendship, we think that we have chosen our peers. In reality, a few years difference in the dates of our birth, a few more miles between certain houses, the choice of one university instead of another, the accident of a topic being raised or not raised at a first meeting, any of these chances might have kept us apart. But for a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances. Only opportunities, right? No chances. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to the disciples, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, ye have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. The friendship is not a reward for our discriminating and good taste in finding one another out. It is the instrument by which God reveals to each of us the beauties of others. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're beautiful. (laughs) In Christ, okay? Add in Christ. Think about it. I know some of you are very excited because that person that you like is sitting next to you. Okay, please don't make it awkward. But think about it. There are no chances in Christian life. That person that God has brought to you in your life group or in your LCG, maybe there's a purpose. Maybe there's something that God wants to reveal about himself and about his beauty. Maybe there's something great and amazing about that person that he wants you to learn and experience. And maybe by your refusal to put yourself out there, commit to that person, you're missing out on what God has for you. In verse 3, we see Jonathan made a covenant with David. So now he's realizing maybe God has something in store for me. So what does he do? He takes the initiative. He says, I'm going to make a covenant. David didn't ask him to make a covenant. Jonathan made a covenant with him. And a covenant we see in the Old Testament, it's a promise. It's not a contract. It's not a transactional thing. It's not a like, hey, if you buy me, buy my, buy me a meal today, I'll buy you a meal next week. It's not like that. It's a promise to say, I am committed to you through thick and thin, regardless of what happens. And it says, Jonathan loved him as he loved his own soul. What does that mean? And it reflects promises or commands given by God in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19, uh, verses 17 to 18. It says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but, but you shall what? Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. What does that remind us of when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And he says, also, what? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the commandment. That's what Jonathan was doing. He loved David as he loved himself. He put himself out there. He gave him, he committed himself to David. He made a commitment. Why is this so amazing? Jonathan did not have to do anything for David. There was nothing that David did for him that Jonathan can say, oh yeah, because you did that for me, that I'm going to do. Jonathan, who was he? He was the son of the king. He was heir to the throne. He had servants at his beck and call. David was this poor little shepherd boy who won one battle. Jonathan had all these things, and you know what he ended up doing? He ended up giving his sword, his bow, and his belt. That was not just a, it wasn't just like a, you know, a little kid, here are my toys, I want to share with you. No, it wasn't like that. It, it was a symbol 
of friendship, it was a symbol of a gift for someone in that royalty, that, that position to give those significant items what communicated a really profound message. That I am now giving my life to you. I'm inviting you into my life. I'm committed to you. And what did David give? Nothing. Isn't that interesting? In the whole passage, it's always Jonathan giving. It doesn't say anything about David giving. And in fact, if you read throughout the whole friendship, it's mostly Jonathan giving. David is the one mostly on the receiving end. And when we make a commitment to a relationship, it's not about what we can receive. It's about what we can give. My question for us is, how many of us, we add value to our friends? How many of us, we are the ones who are contributing, blessing, refreshing our friends? Or do you wait, are you always the person that always waits for the other person to initiate? Like, oh man, why don't my friends like me? And you're sitting there like, oh, I don't have any friends. Why? Because you never initiate. You never put yourself out there. You're never the first one to say, hey, can we spend time together? Can I bless you? Can I take you out for a meal? Can I encourage you? How many of us, we're the ones who always turn people off? Just by our attitude, we're negative people. We're always complaining. How many of us, we want to be around negative people? None of us. But how many of you realize that we are exactly those kind of people? That if we're not committed to that relationship, we're not always thinking about ourselves, possibly we need to think about others. To say, hey, I want to encourage someone, I want to be a blessing instead of constantly focusing on myself. I'm wondering if then we will be able to build better relationships. Some of us, we have this RBF. We just can't help it. God bless you, because that's me too, right? When I don't like, like yeah, I have, a, I have a, a face that when I'm not, it's, okay, it's, those of you who don't have it, please don't judge, because that's just the most relaxed position our face can be in, okay? Please don't judge. But I will speak to those of us that we naturally have that. Just use your muscles a little bit, right? <laughs> and you might have to be a little bit conscious of what you look like, because if you constantly walk around, like who's going to want to go up to you and be like, hi, you know? No one's going to want to greet you that way. You know, they're going to be thinking about all these things like, oh, I must be in a bad mood. Something must have happened. Let me just give them some space. And you're like, why, are no, why is no one talking to me? I'm in a great mood. So those of you who just be a little bit aware. How many of us are the needy person? We're constantly like needing things from people. No wonder people don't proactively reach out to you. Why? Because you're making it all about ourselves. But if you were to say, I want to commit to you, brother. I want to commit to you. I want to give to you. I don't want to make it about myself. And I'm wondering if we would build some solid relationships that way. That question is not only those things, but... My question is, would you want to be friends with yourself? If you took a hard look at yourself, would you want to be friends with your own self? And if for many of us the question is no, then I'm wondering if there's something about our lack of commitment to other people, our lack of generosity, our lack of giving to one another that we need to check our hearts about. I wanted to share some um, photos uh, of my class um, this, is my, this is my class uh, when I was a sophomore, second year, and uh, we had a decent sized class. We had a, you know, that was kind of our, our group of friends. And I think uh, the, the thing that was hard for me, was it was hard to build friendships. I was definitely very emo when I was younger. I would like be one in the corner. I would be always waiting for other people to approach me. And so I think it was difficult for me to build friendships, but um, I think you know, I had a lot of pride in our class. We were called Frontline. And so shout out to the classes. I don't know who you are and what class names you are, but I heard there's some interesting class names. But out of the class, I know sometimes it's difficult, for, especially for college students, for you to build deeper relationships. But it really took one person just to reach out to me to start building that deeper relationship. So actually, uh, my best friend now, his name is Sam, and I think he's in this other photo. This is when we were in undergrad. And uh, I honestly, I tried to find a better photo. I was talking to him over WhatsApp, and he was like, he, he's actually the pastor in HMCC Detroit. His name is Sam, Pastor Sam. And he was like, can you show some more flattering photos of me? I was like, and I was looking through all the photos. I was like, I can't find any good photos of us. 
Because I'm like, you know, when you're really close with someone, you just don't feel the need to always take, at least for guys, right? Girls, you might take photos all the time. So brothers, take photos together while you have the opportunity. Because later on in life, you might not have the opportunity. So, uh, but yeah, this is one of my close friends. And the reason why we got close is because he was the one who reached out to me. He was the one who initiated with me first. We were kind of friends, but then when he came back from a missions project, he said, hey, let's live together. And so we lived together in this apartment. It was like more than 1,000 square feet. It was huge compared to Hong Kong. We had two rooms to ourselves. And I was so happy. I was like, yes, we could have our own room. And it was going to be a giant room. And he came over to me, and he was like, hey, let's uh, live together in the same room, sleeping together in the same room. I was like, why? <laughs> we have two rooms to ourselves. And you know, he was saying stuff like, yeah, we can make you know, the other room like a study room, a prayer room, all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. You know, I was like, okay, let's live in the same room. So I was like, okay, let's figure out what kind of beds we're going to get. And then I was thinking about like, yeah, we could get like, I could get a bigger bed because we have enough space, right? Because those rooms are large compared to Hong Kong. It like, it's not like Hong Kong where you just, you only have one space for a bunk bed and two people, right? It's like you have enough space for like two size queen beds. And it was like that big. I was like, okay, let's, let's get a bigger bed. He's like, hey, I have this great idea. Why don't we get a bunk bed? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? Like, it's gonna, our room's going to look so awkward. It's going to be a bunk bed and all this other space. Like, what are we going to do? He's like, no, it's going to be great. And we can, like, have bedtime fellowship and talk late night together. And I was like, are you serious? And then I was just like, what the heck? And then I made but I was just like, okay, fine. Let's just go with it. And, I, and, I, and he was pushing for it every single time. And I will just kind of sit there and be like, okay, fine. And then what, I didn't realize what his intention was. But as we started to live, once we moved in, we had the bunk, get, bunk bed. And as, as we started to live together, we would uh, go to sleep. Uh, one thing that he really uh, challenged me to do was go to morning prayer every single day that, that year. So we did it together. We would commit to meeting together on campus and walking home together so we could sleep early enough, so we could wake up early enough and go. But what ended up happening was late at night as we're you know, going to sleep, I'll be, I was on the bottom bunk. He was on the top bunk. I would just be like kind of laying there, ready to pass out. And I would just hear this voice. <laughs> and be like, hey, Bo. And he would start sharing. And he would start opening up his life. He would share about what was happening, what his fears were, what was going on in his life. And, and at first I was like, why is he talking? <laughs> and I would just sit there. I'm like waiting for him to stop. And, I'm like, and I would just kind of like give like these, you know, couple sentences. And I was just trying to be encouraging. Like, you know, thanks for sharing. You know, that must have been hard. But then, you know, and I, at some point, I realized as he was sharing certain things that he was sharing, I was like, wow, I was, I, was surprised. I was shocked at some of the things he started sharing, some of his deeper fears, some of his deeper insecurities, some of his deeper hurts. And, you know, and as he did that, what ended up happening was I started to share mine. And then I realized like, we were up to like 3 or 4 in the morning. I was like, oh, crap, we had to wake up in a couple hours for morning prayer. I was like, oh, man. But it was over that time we would do that, not every single night, but often enough that we started to really build this close relationship. And I really believe it was that year that really brought us closely together, that we were able to share anything with one another. And we were able to advocate for one another because we knew all of our struggles. We knew all of our difficulties, that we were able to encourage one another in those moments. And I just realized, like, if he had not made that awkward first commitment <laughs> to room together, to live in the same room, to get a bunk bed, well, I mean, I was thinking about hindsight. We could have still slept in separate beds, right? But then still had those conversations. But something about it, just his insistence on building that relationship really spoke a lot to me. And I realized, like, this person is someone that I can really build a deeper friendship with. And, and honestly, he's one of those people that we're just so different. Like, if it was not for Jesus Christ, and if it were, was not for his persistence, I don't think we would be friends. We're, we both say that. Like, it's not something that people are like, whoa, why would you say that about a person? But we both say that to each other. We're like, yeah, I don't know if I'd be friends with you if it wasn't for Christianity. But because of his persistence, and we're like, now he's my best friend. And now he's the person that I will share anything with. And anything that we go through, that we're running this race together. And, and I, I just want to challenge us. And I wasn't ready for that kind of commitment in the beginning. But as he was putting himself out there, that opened up my heart. And for some of us, do we have someone like that for us? The question is, if we don't, are we like that for someone else in our lives? Do we put ourselves out there? Do we commit to other people? 
And I was thinking, like, why is commitment so hard and difficult in this generation? Why is it so hard to commit and to love people in our generation? Not talking about university student generation. Like, are this generation, married couples, single working adults, college students? And I was thinking, like, there are a couple of reasons why. The first one I was thinking of is because we're trying to figure out what we can get out of it. We're constantly trying to figure out, how can I benefit? And if it doesn't benefit me, if that person is not beneficial to me, then I don't see any purpose in building a relationship with them. But if you go into a friendship with that kind of attitude, then do you really feel like it's going to be a genuine friendship that you're able to build a strong foundation on? I don't think so. Because if that person feels the same way about you, and then you don't offer each other the thing that you're looking for, what's going to happen to that friendship? It's not going to last. And many of us, were in that place where we're like, I don't know who my friends are. It's why? Because we're always constantly trying to figure out what's in it for me. Second reason is because we're always looking for something better. We're always looking for something better. That person doesn't work out, then I can find someone else. That person doesn't work out, then there's this other person that I can go to. You have this like tiers of friends, right? I, I, I know none of you will admit it, but you all know it's in your head. Right? These are this is my closer friends. If that person doesn't answer, then I can go to this person. Or if that person doesn't answer, I can go to other, this other person. But when's the last time we said, I'm committed to you? I'm committed to you because I love you and I care for you. Regardless of who else is out there. Who else might be more similar in my interests? Some of, we all signed a, a covenant in life group, in the first two life groups. Right? Yes? I think sometimes we take that covenant too lightly. We sign it thinking, oh, this is what we do in life every single week. And then here comes along someone else that's in your, in your life. And you're like, yeah, I'll commit to that other person. I'll live out the covenant for that other person, but not this person. Because you're always looking for something better. Third thing, we're all afraid of getting hurt. We don't commit to people because we're afraid of getting hurt. I, I was thankful because someone put it up there. It's past hurts that hinder us from committing to people. And I don't want to disregard the hurt, because, yeah, there are some things that pro people probably done to you that were hurtful. But if you hold on to that hurt, you nurse that hurt, and that holds you and that protects yourself from getting to know anyone else, then, yeah, you're not going to build any good relationships. You're fighting against yourself. You're making it all about you. But if we're we're believing that God is our greatest friend, that we're unoffendable, that we're secure, and we can actually be a friend to someone else. Who knows that there might be someone else who's been hurt before? That in your hurt, you can share that with that other person, that you could be an awesome friend to that person. Fourth is because we're wanting to keep things for ourselves. It's because we're all about comfort. We're all about what's convenient for us. We're all about, I want my schedule, my time, and I, I don't, you don't have any time to invest into other people. You don't have any time, you haven't cleared any space in your life because you're all about your priorities, your schedule, your busyness. This is me too, I fall into this trap that we don't make space to be there for other people. I think for married couples and, and single working adults, this is hard. Work is hard, you're over time, right? Trying to build relationships with life group. You're like, when do I have time for my friends? And I would say it looks different in different life stages. It just looks different. Like if an undergrad student messages me and is like, hey, let's hang out and spend a lot of time together, I'm like, oh, I'm blessed. You know, I'm encouraged. But if a single working adult or a married couple, especially if they have kids, they send a message, hey, you know, Bo, I've been praying for you. How are you doing? It speaks volumes. It really speaks volumes. I think some of us, we, we don't realize what even just a little momentary just thoughtfulness for someone else can really do for someone else, right? So even if you're not in undergrad anymore, you don't have all this time anymore, you can still find ways to commit to people, even if it just looks different. So don't use that as an excuse. And I would just encourage us, we're talking about discipleship is about relationship. And if there's no commitment, then there can be no relationship. If there's no relationship, there can be no discipleship. And for many of us, we're like, yeah, I don't know how to disciple my peers, my friendships. That doesn't make sense. And I would say that's bogus. Because I really feel like now looking back, Sam, my friend, he was discipling me through that season. He was teaching me what it, meant like, what it looked like to commit to people, what it meant to put themselves out there, what it meant to be vulnerable. And I feel like I grew so much from his example. 
And you can do that with your friends as well. And you're not discipling them as like an older person discipling a younger person. You're discipling each other as you're growing together. For us, do we seek out our friends when it only benefits us? Do we withdraw when our friends don't reciprocate? Are we making it all about ourselves or are we committing to one another? I hope that we can learn to commit to one another. So that's the first point. The second one, as we move on, is to speak truth to one another. Not only committing to one another, but speaking truth to one another. Let's read 1 Samuel. We're going to go to chapter 19 now and read verses 1 through 4a. This is what it says. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself, and I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you, and if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. And then what ends up happening after this passage is he speaks to Saul. Saul's like, oh yeah, you're right. And he welcomes David back in. But then another incident happens. Saul gets triggered again because he's the king. And he tries to kill David again. So David has to run away. And then we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 5 to 9. So after David has to run away, he comes to Jonathan and says, your father's trying to kill me. And what should I do? What can we do? And then David devises his plan. And we pick up in verse 5. It says, David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at table with the king, which, because there was a festival, they were supposed to, he was supposed to be there. But let me go that I might hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there's a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says, Good, it will be well with your servant, but if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is any guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you, if I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? So when we look at this second passage and we talk about speaking truth, to one another. We see in verses 1 to 2, Jonathan goes against Saul and tells David that Saul wants to kill him. So originally, Jonathan and David made this commitment, but little did Jonathan know what he would have to endure to allow that commitment to stand. And I think for many of us, we, we go into our friendship thinking like, oh, it's going to be great. We're going to hang out together. We're going to share together, and it's going to be awesome until you reach that, reach that first roadblock, until you reach that first conflict. And that's what Jonathan experienced, and it was no regular conflict. Jonathan was literally in conflict between what? His father and everyone else and David. And he had to pick sides. And, and it's just really brief there, but it says in that first verse in, in chapter 19, Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to who? To all his servants. So here's the king publicly stating that David should die. And Jonathan now has a choice. What can he do? For him to speak out for David, what does he have to do? He has to go against all the servants. He has to go against the king of the kingdom, who also he happens to be his father, who he has to go against. You don't have to raise your hand. How many of us, it's easy to go against your father? Some of us, are, we're terrified. We would not speak a single word up against our parents, let alone if our parents were the king or queen prime minister, whatever you want to call it. Let alone if they had made a public declaration that your best friend should die. How many of us, we would stick up for our friend in that moment or you would cower away and be by yourself and not say anything. True friends are friends that will speak up for one another even when it's unpopular, even when it's risky. How many of you, you've been in a group of friends and you have someone who's like, trying to do something that's good, trying to bring up a spiritual topic when you're hanging out and you're like, oh, and all the other people are like, why are you being so spiritual and holy? And you're, and you're like, you, you understand where that person's trying to go, what the person's trying to do, and you just, you're just silent. Why? Because you don't want all those other people to, to look at you poorly. And then just to be a good friend after that person totally gets rejected, you go to them afterward and you're like, oh, are you okay? 
just making sure you're doing all right. You really think that's good friendship? Why didn't you speak up in that moment? Why didn't you say something? You really think that friend feels comforted because you left them hanging out to dry? That's not true friendship. True friendship is when you stick up for one another, when you speak out, even if it's unpopular, even if it's risky, even if everyone else is going to think you're weird or dumb or over-spiritual, over-holy. If someone says, hey, shouldn't we pray together? And everyone's like, well, why are you trying to pray to be so holy? What? What's wrong with prayer? It's a good thing. And I bet that if your friendships, you would pray together more, then your friendships would be better. Speak truth for one another. The other thing is speak truth to one another. In, in that passage in chapter 20, what do we notice in verse 8? Chapter 20, verse 8, we notice that David asked Jonathan to kill himself if he's guilty. Well, it's like weird. It's like all of a sudden, he's like in a totally different mindset. Maybe he's being irrational. Um, but even though he doesn't say it, what you can infer, what we realize is that David is questioning whether or not Jonathan will actually tell him the truth. We know that why, because of Jonathan's response. He says what? Far be it from you. And then he ends with, would I not tell you? Would I not tell you the truth? Would I not be honest with you? You know why David is so scared that Jonathan won't tell him the truth? It's because he knows Jonathan has a lot at stake. He knows Jonathan's in a very risky position. He knows that Saul wanting to kill David and the fact that Jonathan was his best friend is an embarrassment to, to Saul. Sorry, Saul wanted to kill David and the fact that Jonathan was David's best friend was an embarrassment to Saul. Embarrassment that his own son would side with David rather than him. He knew that Jonathan could possibly not want to offend David. He, he, he knew that he could be like divided loyalties. He could be choosing between his father and his friend and not want to rock the boat, not want to make things uncomfortable. Because if you tell your friend that your dad hates you, that's something hard to explain, especially in that culture. I think a true friend says truths that are, number one, hard to tell, and number two, hard to hear. If it is not difficult for you to tell someone a truth, then I don't think you've spoken truth as a friend before. And if you've not heard any truths that are hard to hear, then I would really wonder if you have friends that are really genuinely friends to you. Jerry Bridges, in his uh, book, The Practice of Godliness, he says, only the truly faithful friend cares enough about you or me to undertake the often thankless task of pointing out where we are wrong. None of us enjoys being confronted with our faults or sins or mistakes, so we often make it difficult for our friends to do so. As a result, most of us are more concerned about speaking agreeableness to each other than speaking the truth. This is not loyalty. Loyalty speaks truth and faithfulness, but it also speaks it in love. Loyalty says, I care enough about you that I will not allow you to continue unchecked in your wrong action or sinful attitude that will be ultimately harmful for, to you, end quote. How many of us, we have friends like that? Or are we constantly worried about speaking agreeableness because we care more about what that person thinks of us rather than caring about that person? I had a, a friend, he was another one of my groomsmen, but we, uh, we were in the same class and we served on web team together. This is a picture of him. And uh, as web team, we did like different activities. And I don't know, shout out to Creative Tech. You guys probably do like whiteboard and diagrams and presentations and stuff like that. So we were doing that. And this is him doing a post-it notes. Um, and I remember I was leading the team at that time. And there was one time we were just sharing. And I was just, I was just struggling a lot. And I was like, I was kind of sharing with the team, like, I don't feel motivated. I don't see God's goodness for me. And I, you know, a lot of other people were struggling too. So I was like, hey, why don't we do this exercise? where you write a post-it note on the board uh, as a way to encourage that person with a verse. And so we just kind of picked for each other who would share for who. It was just kind of random. And then that friend, my friend uh, Andrew, uh, he got me. And so he wrote this verse on the post-it note. And he uh, wrote this verse, and the verse reference was Romans 3.23. I don't know if any of you know that verse. That verse goes something, and I was hoping that it would be something like, you know, for nothing will separate you from the love of God. You know, all those nice verses that we all love hearing. Romans 3.23, you know what it says? It says, 
For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. <laughs> and I was like, what is this? And then as soon as he saw me looking at the verse, he like turned to me and he like grinned at me. He's like, <laughs> and I was like, what the heck is this? And then I, I don't think I knew that verse at that moment. So I looked it up and I read, like, for, for, the, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then I was thinking about it and I was like, wait, but this is so true. And I realized that the reason why I felt far from God or I didn't see the goodness of God was because I didn't really think that was that bad. I didn't really see my own sin. I had no concept of, man, I am so messed up that I need God's grace. And it was only the gift of my friend who wrote me that verse, who knew, like, that is not an encouraging verse. Some of us, when we see that verse, we're like, what the heck is wrong with you? You know, we'll get offended. Like, what's wrong? What's your problem? Can you not be encouraging a little bit? But he was willing to speak truth to me. What I didn't want to hear, but what I needed to hear in order to help me develop a relationship with God. And wasn't, that wasn't the only time. I was meeting with him at another time for dinner, and I was just sharing another time when I was feeling burnt out, and he was just telling me, he's like, can you stop complaining? And I was like, what do you mean? I'm not complaining. I'm just sharing, you know, about myself. He's like, no, you're complaining right now. And I was like, you're complaining about my complaining. <laughs> and then, no, he's like, you're complaining. And it's your complaining attitude that is not allowing you to see how good God has been to you. And as if you do not take responsibility for your own attitude and your own actions, that you'll never be close to God. And I took that, and it was hard. It was really hard to swallow. Like, if, it, if it's someone older than you, yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, shoot, yeah, I got to repent and stuff like that. But someone coming from a peer, you're not going to take that. You're not going to experience that. You're like, who are you to say that to me? But I realized he loved me enough to speak that truth. And the, the other thing was, like, I was a leader. I was on the executive team. He was a member, a regular member. Ooh. But my question is, do you have friends that regardless of your position, you're willing to speak truth to one another? And I'm so thankful that I had friends like that who was willing to do that for me. And later on, I ended up doing it for him too. Proverbs 27.6, it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Are you willing to tell the truth to your friends? Some of us, we go on the wrong extreme. We speak truth unlovingly. We just say all this stuff in the name of love or truth, but really it's, it's harsh, it's unloving, and you end up hurting that person. Why? Because they could tell if it's not really out of love. And then so many of us are on the other extreme that we just want everyone to like us, and so we never say anything, honestly. Those of you who are single working adults, just wait till you get married. In marriage, speaking truth sometimes becomes the most difficult thing. Why? Because you have to see that person every single day. And if you speak truth and you're afraid of what that person's going to think of you, then every time you're in that process, you're, there's going to be this tension. If you do not learn how to do it now, then in marriage, you're not going to be able to do it. And I know married couples, this is my own experience too. Right? Like we don't want to speak truth because we think that, oh, that person's never going to change. It's not going to be any use. Or, oh man, it's going to make my life so much harder. I don't want to hear anything from that other person. And so we're just like, you know, we'll just kind of leave it as is. Just kind of, we'll just kind of work it out just to work it out. Rather than saying, no, I really love you enough to care for you. And some of you think that, oh, once I get married, I'm going to love that person. I'm going to be able to do all this kind of stuff. No, you're not. If you do not learn it now with your friends, you're not going to be able to do it with your marriage partner. Are you more focused on what you can gain and you lose, or are you more concerned about the relationship? Or can you say, I want to speak truth for that person and to that person as an encouragement? Okay, so we talked about how in order to experience those true, genuine friendships, we need to commit to one another, we need to speak truth to one another, and we also have to sacrifice for one another. We have to sacrifice for one another. Let's finish off and read 1 Samuel chapter 20. It'll be verses 12 to 15 and also 30 to 34. <clears throat> In uh, verse 12 it says, And Jonathan said to David, this is after um, they have that discussion earlier, Jonathan, Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow on or the third day, behold, 
If he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So then Jonathan goes and talks to his father. He stands up for David. And then this is what happens as we continue in verse 30. It says, Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. He said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame? The son of Jesse was David. And to the shame of your mother's nakedness, for as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. When we look at this passage in verse 13 to 14, Jonathan invokes curses and blessings about himself. It's interesting, just something changed. Something changed and shifted in his mind. In the verse 13, the New Living Translation, it says, May the Lord strike me and even kill me. He starts to use this really dramatic language of life and death, of, of kind of this foreboding or foreshadowing of something to come. He talks about the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also, like, kill me if this doesn't happen. If I am still alive, please show mercy to me. Show your steadfast love for me. And then he says, you know, at the end, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. He starts to use this dramatic language. What is he saying? For Jonathan, it's, it's no longer a, a simple scenario anymore. It's a, it's a life and death situation. And Jonathan begins to realize that this is not just about his loyalty or friendship to David. It really becomes about God and what God is doing in their lives. It's about obedience to God. And I wouldn't be surprised, knowing that Jonathan or David are so close, that Jonathan knew that David was anointed to the next king. Jonathan probably knew that Saul was not favored by God, and that David would eventually take the throne. That's why he says, yeah, like, may, may, may God preserve you and vanquish all of your enemies from the earth. And would you show favor to me? And he knew this is God's plan, that maybe God was using Jonathan to support David in this time so God's purposes for David could be revealed. The question is, how many of us, we have friendships that are honoring and focus on God more than anything else? That your relationship is about God, not just about blind loyalty to that person, not just about making that person feel great, not just about speaking some random truth that you just think would be awesome, but it's really because you see what God is doing in their life. And you're willing to sacrifice your life, your comfort, your everything so that they can experience something greater. When's the last time you made it about God more than anything else? Just the last photos I wanted to share is, um, again, this is my class where these are the closer guys that I was in relationship with, and yes, we were very proud about our class name, Frontline. It's the best class name out of all y'all class names. Oh. So we, we ended up getting close, and I think um, we, uh, <clears throat> it was really sad, though, because, and this is, I, I kind of joke about that, because we were called Frontline because, you know, our whole class name idea was that the sideline would not be an option, that we would be on the front lines of God's kingdom. But it was really sad because after we graduated, everyone just kind of dispersed. All the commitments that people made, a lot of our friends just ended up kind of bouncing, leaving, not telling people where they were going, not, not sharing, you know, not opening themselves up. Not, it wasn't that the fact that they left that was bad, but it was just more the way that they left and the, the kind of the sour note that they didn't really you know, tell anyone about anything. And so we were just a couple of us who were left over from, so we called ourselves literally the leftovers. <laughs> like those who graduated were still around. And so this was the, not this photo, but the other photo. Yeah, this one. Uh, we ended up getting really, really close as the leftovers because, and I realized the reason, the thing that really kept us close together, it wasn't the, the random stuff that we did together. We didn't have much time. It wasn't like 
the, the fun times, we were on the road to a Chick-fil-A. If you ever go to the Midwest, Chick-fil-A is a really good restaurant or a fast food chain. Um, so we would do stupid stuff like that. But it wasn't doing the stupid stuff that got us close together. And I, as I look back, it was really the relationships that were forged because all of us, we wanted to make our friendship about God. Like there was one time, I, I, I still remember, we were like celebrating someone's birthday. We had a cake and, and then someone was like, should we pray for each other? And you know, it was like really awkward. Like, oh my God, you have to spoil this like fun moment and make it spiritual. But then as we started to do, we shared prayer requests and some people were like tearing up because you know, we were going through different things. And we were really trying to point one another to Christ in everything that we did. And after I left for Hong Kong, I was like, man, we still want to stay in touch. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if this is going to you know, still last, but we still keep in touch. We still have this kind of group chat where we share different things. And we're still encouraging one another to follow after God no matter where we go. And after, um, I, we, like many of us, we uh, got engaged and married. And so then when Eric and I went back to the U.S. to visit, um, we just had kind of like a mini reunion. And it was really cool because some of them are married and some of their couples were kind of joined us. And it was just a really great time of just reminiscing and just sharing about what God has been doing in our lives. And I don't know, it was just amazing to see how every single one of them, doesn't matter where they're at, but they're still following after the Lord in their own way, in their own place, in their own location. And I don't know, I'm just like so confident, I'm so thankful that God has surrounded me with a, a group of friends that are so set on God's mission, so set on serving Him no matter what church, no matter what context that they're in. And I feel like that's what really allowed just us to stay connected with the longevity that we've been able to have. And I just share that, not because I was the one who cultivated all those friendships, but it was just us together as we were seeking God together. God just brought us together. God allows us to, to sacrifice our own comfort, our own desires, so that we can build these kind of relationships with one another. And I think that's what Jonathan did, right? In verse 30 to 31, Saul outlines the sacrifices that Jonathan was making. He had to make some serious sacrifices, right? He, he says, Saul says this to Jonathan. He's like, you're shaming your family. You're shaming your mother. You're abandoning your kingdom. You could be the next king. You're going you're gonna to give that up for this punk kid? You're going against me, the king, your own father. Are you really going to sacrifice that? And Jonathan, he only has a couple choices. He could either just fall in line with his dad. He could lie to his dad and tell his dad what he wants to know, but then lie and then help David run away. But you know what he does? He puts himself out there. He sacrifices himself for David. Why? Because he knows that that's what's required for that friendship. He made a promise to David to tell the truth. And you realize what happened in that verse. Saul hurled a spear at his own son. David could have died that day. He was willing to sacrifice himself for the sake of his friendship. Do we have friendships, true godly center friendships, where you're willing to sacrifice for one another. You're willing to stick out yourselves for one another to the point where to the end of your life, you're willing to stick it out because you're on God's mission together. Not because you're sacrificing just so that you can get something for that person, but because you know God has a plan, a vision, and a purpose for them. And because Jonathan did that, he sacrificed himself, he was faithful to David for the rest of his life. Guess what happened? Jonathan ended up dying in a, another battle David ended up becoming king. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 6 to 7, after uh, Jonathan passes away, I guess Jonathan had some kids. And then once David becomes king, he's now trying to figure out who are, uh, who are Jonathan's children. And he wanted to bless them. And this is what it says. And, so, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face, face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said to him, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. How many of us know that if Jonathan had not sacrificed himself, then David possibly could have been in a compromising situation? But because of Jonathan's sacrifice, David was able to get away, he's able to be king. He was able to now take the throne and then restore the throne to where God wanted it to go. And David remembered Jonathan's sacrifice. He remembered the covenant that Jonathan made with him. And now he's blessing his son. So to the end of his life, that was what Jonathan did. He lived it out. 
And some of us are like, yeah, I, I don't know if I could sacrifice. I don't know if I could go to that extent. I don't know if I could literally sacrifice my life for the sake of someone else so that they could experience God's purposes in their lives. And I will be honest, I, I can't do that either. I don't know if I could genuinely do that. In fact, none of us will be able to fully commit to that with any of the friends that we have. But that's the good news, is that when we fail being the friends that God calls us to be, that's the good news of the gospel, is that Jesus is the friend that we should have been that we couldn't have been. Now, Jonathan sacrificed himself for David because he loved David so that his descendants, Jonathan's descendants, would be able to eat at David's table, would be able to inherit the covenant blessings that he had committed to. In the same way, Jesus sacrificed himself. Why? For God's purposes, because he loved God. So that all of the people who end up following Jesus, that Jesus would consider brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, that we would be able to then eat at the table of God for the rest of our lives. Just as Mephibosheth would eat at David's table for the rest of his life. There's no greater friendship than that that you will be able to lay down your life for your friend. And that was what Jesus did. John 15, 12 to 15, he said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that what? Someone what? Lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but what? I have called you friends for all that I've heard from my Father I have made known to you. And that was both a command and it was also a foreshadow to what Jesus would do himself for all of us, all of his disciples. He says, you were not able to be the true friend. All of his disciples ran away, abandoned him, betrayed him. But Jesus does what? He lays his life down for his friends, for his disciples. They are no longer his servants. They were no longer just people that just ended up following him. They were his friends. And in his friendship, he demonstrated the most biblical, godly friendship that he could demonstrate. It wasn't that he just coddled them. It wasn't that he just said all the nice things to them. He didn't just commit to them. He laid his life down for them. So what? They could have life. And not only could they have life and just be comfortable so that they could live in the purposes as God had given to them to be the church, to share this message with everyone else. And I know that we cannot be these perfect friends, but when we look to Christ, when we see his example of friendship, we see what he has done, then that is the strength and that is the power to say, God, you have done everything to me. You are my greatest friend. You give me the strength and the power that hopefully I can just pass on a little bit of your friendship onto someone else. And my hope and my prayer is that we would build these godly friendships in our church. We will build these godly relationships in our church. We will commit to one another. We will speak truth for and to one another. And we will sacrifice for one another, point each other to God no matter what we do. That's why the one thing for us this morning is that our friendships will crumble unless they reflect the commitment, truth, and sacrifice of the gospel. I want to just give us some quick next steps. There's only going to be one thing, and it's to be utilized the key tool to build gospel-centered friendships this week. Utilize the key tool to build gospel-centered friendships this week. And the key tool, I think some of you might have gone through it in Life Group this past week, but simply K-E-Y. So K is know the goodness of God. The question under that is how has God been good to you? Second, E is engage the great commandment. How are you loving others? And then Y is yield to the Holy Spirit. How is God speaking to you? And I will just give you a quick example of how you can use this key tool to interact and build relationships with your friends. For example, let's say you have someone in your life group that God just so happened to bring into your life. And you might not share all the common interests with that person. You might not directly vibe or connect with that person. But maybe you just feel like God is wanting you to invest and commit to that person. So you might ask yourself, know the goodness. How has God been good to me? Oh, even though I was not like Jesus, I was not perfect. I was not a great friend of Jesus. I disowned, I was totally, I ran away from him. But yet God still pursued after me. Jesus still pursued after me. He brought other people in my life to pursue after me. God has been so good to me. And knowing that God has been so good to me, then 
wow, in that goodness, as I'm full and I'm now swimming in God's love, now then I ask myself the second question is, engage a great commandment. How am I loving other people? Well, hey, God, maybe there are people that you want me to love that were in the same position as me. Other people that ran away. Other people that were different than me. Other people that I didn't get along with. That maybe you're asking me to pursue after them. To invest in them. To talk to them. To send a message to them. To invite them to a meal. And you're like, okay, God, I got to do this. And you ask yourself the last question. Yield to the Holy Spirit. How is God speaking to you? Yeah, God, you're already speaking to me to tell me to do this. But God, I can't do this on my own. And as you sit there and you're just listening and you're just asking God, give me some strength. Holy Spirit, please come into my life to give me the love, to strengthen me that as I do this, that I'm going to see your purposes unravel. And you do that in every moment, every single time you have an incidence where you could build a friendship or you could break a friendship. And I really believe as you go through this tool, this is going to help us to love people and build biblical, godly friendships. Do this with your roommates that you're building friendships with. Do this with your spouse. Do this with the friends that you've had for a long time that you've never gone deeper with, but you want to have some of those deeper conversations. You want to pray together with them. Do this because sometimes we have so many hindrances, but as you go through the key tool, I really believe that God is going to help us to take those steps of faith and build those relationships together. Can we stand together? And we'll just close out in response. As we just respond and worship, I think if there's just one thing that we can just commit to, I think it just comes back to seeing Jesus Christ as our friend. I think some of us, maybe the reason why we have all these other friendships that don't reflect the relationship that Christ has with us is because we don't see him as a friend. We see God as an angry master. We see God as a frustrated boss. Or we see God as just someone who's distant, aloof, kind of off to the side. But if we were to see Jesus as someone who has befriended us, pursued us, invested in us, spoke truth to us, committed to us, sacrificed himself for us, I'm wondering if someone, something, and that something might just be the Holy Spirit, will just come into our hearts and begin to give us commitment to others, speaking truth to others, sacrificing for others in our lives. Can we do that? Can we just, just for the next moment or two, number one, just identify how is it that I see God? How is it that I see my relationship with Jesus? Do I see him as a friend? And number two, ask that God would help you to see him as your friend. The greatest friend that anyone could ever ask for that came from heaven down to this earth. He didn't have to, but he came to model for us what true friendship looks like. Can we just do that? Just those two things, just for the next minute or two and we'll just respond in worship. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.